Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now, here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I am really pumped to welcome Jessica Gilmartin, the CMO of Calendly. If you haven't heard of Calendly before, you've probably seen one of their links in someone's back and forth with you saying, you can book a meeting here. I use their product all the time, I love it. But Jessica's path to being their CMO is quite interesting. She started off more in investment banking before she went onto the marketing side. But as she says, it's quite unconventional how she ended up a CMO, because if you look at her career at times you feel as though she could have become a COO which she was at one point or even a CFO with her strong background in finance but she talks about how that really helps her later in the episode you'll hear her say that great advice she got along one of her stops at Asana was to always make sure that you understand both the people the story and the data and she really wraps that into this episode in terms of the areas that we hit on especially on the second half we dig into how a company like Calendly, which I'm going to stagger you here, I thought they only had 10 million users because I found that on their website. They are now over 20 million users. Now, within those 20 million users, there's so much opportunity, different segments, different buyers, some buyers who just want to use the product to schedule meetings and some who need to go much further into security, into different types of logging capabilities, different nurturing capabilities. And Jessica's role is to redefine what Calendly can be for an organization. And she talks about some of those strategies. I think this is a great episode for anyone who wants to dig into their segmentation strategies and how to think about their customer base. Here's my chat with Jessica. Jessica, I am so excited to have you here. Personally, like I'm a big fan of Calendly. So this is, you know, kind of me being able to have one of like my, you know, music crushes on here in terms of CMOs. But I, I want to first get to how you became a CMO in general. And, and what I find interesting, and I was poking around on your LinkedIn before this, it says your specialties are marketing and finance. And if I look back, like you could have either probably been a CFO or a CMO. So what drove you to the marketing side? So I don't think that anybody has ever had the same career path as I have to be a CMO. Uh, and um, whether that's a good or bad thing, I don't know, but it, it has worked for me. And I think, you know, I, I started my career as an investment banker and I did that for the first four years of my career and realized that as much as I loved the data side, it just didn't give me an outlet for the creative side that I had. And so I went back to business school because I had absolutely no idea how to marry those two things together and, and what a career path could actually look like for me. And I took my first marketing class at business school and I was like, oh, this is it. This is, this is the marrying of the two, uh, of, the, of the right side and the, and the left side. And that's kind of set me on the path to, to, uh, to marketing. Interesting. So we're going to go through some of the amazing places you've been in your career, like Google, uh, which I'm sure was a pivotal moment, opportunities you've had where you've been a COO, but when you talk about this left and right side of the brain, we all talk about, are you a demand marketer? Or are you more of a brand marketer? 
what do you think you are today? Do you think it's a true balance or do you lean more to one side, maybe that left brain because of that grounding in, in the finance side? I am definitely right smack in the middle. And I think to be an effective CMO, you really have to deeply understand all the different elements of marketing. I think marketing in particular is the most versatile of disciplines and you have to really understand so many incredibly different elements, right? I might have one conversation about how our leads are routed and you know how we're scoring them and going deeply into what happened to 300 leads that were stuck in Marketo. I had that conversation this morning. <laughs> and then <laughs> your next conversation might be around how do we think about our brand redesign for a website? And I think you have to really be empathetic and caring and thoughtful about every single one of those decisions because they all make a huge impact on the brand and, and, and on the success of marketing. I know that there are definitely people that specialize. That's not me. And I think really for me, it's all about how do I understand enough of each of my team members to really be empathetic to them and to understand their needs. That's really interesting. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about your career and some of the stops because it, it's an interesting path, as you said. Uh, you've had these opportunities that I hit on as a COO. But one of the things I find interesting as well is, is being a CMO. And then I don't want to say taking a step back, but some people are, are title obsessed. You clearly prioritized, I guess, company and going to Asana to focus more on the revenue marketing. And you know, the title I saw was head of revenue marketing. So how did you prioritize that versus the title? Because once a CMO, a lot of people want to be CMO. That was a really hard decision, to be honest. And I was really worried about that. I was worried about you. Know, I had been a CMO or CEO, COO for six years of medium to large size startups. And it was a really big risk. And it was something that I kind of tortured myself over for a long time about whether I would continue down that path of being CMO of medium to large size startups or take potentially a step back and just be head of a division of marketing for Asana, which was a very fast growing larger company. And for me, what I realized was that um, I loved Asana. I loved the product. I loved the team. I actually thought I was going to learn a lot more there. And I think uh, that for me is what I always prioritize. I always prioritize learning. And what I knew that I was missing from my CMO experience was scale. And that was pretty clearly holding me back. And so I took a bet on myself and I took a bet on Asana that I would go there and I would see scale, both from a size of my team, size of my budget, size of the company, global scope. And it happened. I mean, I was really lucky I got there right before the pandemic and Asana absolutely exploded and the scope of my role exploded. And there is no way that I would have gotten the job at Calendly if I hadn't joined Asana. So it was definitely a huge risk, but it was one that That's really interesting. Off. And I love a little bit of timing there, but also a little bit of betting on yourself uh, without question. And, and I think that's one of these decisions that a lot of us sometimes have to make, as you said, you know, managing a marketing team of 20 or less, or maybe a little bit more is very different than the team I assumed that was at Asana at this time of growth. And just for everyone listening, my understanding Calendly today, you've got roughly 60 people in the marketing team alone, and that, that excludes any sales development function. So what what was maybe that biggest learning to be able to build a team of the size that you operate today coming from Asana? The absolute biggest learning was the importance of communication. 
So I spend at least half to three quarters of my time thinking about communication, thinking about process, thinking about how do I make sure that everybody on my team understands what they're doing, why it's valuable, uh, how it ladders up to the broader business goals, and how to create really effective communication processes within the team. So it's, it's something that not everybody thinks about. I actually think it's the most important part of my job. And it's really easy when there's 10, 15 people and you're all sitting in the same room and you could just sort of holler at each other. And it's really hard when you have a fully distributed team of dozens of people. And that's the first thing to go is communication. Interesting. So you bring that up and, and I'm curious because being a CMO is not just being the head of marketing, but it's being part of the senior leadership team or executive leadership team. So it can lead these mindsets and, and planning around communication. Is this something that you take on as a CMO or is this something that is that you're guided towards as part of that group through the head of people or through the CEO? I've taken a very active role in company communication as well. And I do believe that that's a really important part of my job as CMO is to think about marketing, not just externally, but also internally. And I don't think anybody else thinks about it quite as much as a marketer does. So I, um, I'm quite annoying to my fellow executives because I push them <laughs> pretty hard on communication, whether that's frequency of it, quality of it, the format. Uh, so I'm, I'm very, very involved. And I think every CMO needs to be. So it's funny. I, I remember just a few months back, I was chatting with my son. He's 16. And, and we were moving from an in-office, as you described, to a more remote first. And you know, he questioned this idea of, can we be successful without an office? And I said to him, you know, there's a lot of companies that have never had an office that have been successful. Uh, and there's companies that have offices that are not. Uh, and, he, and he, you know, he kind of nodded at me and, and, I, and he said, okay, well, what do the companies without an office do to be successful? And, and I kind of laughed as in like, that's a great question. So I'm going to ask you the same question here, which you know, you, you talked about some of these things that you advocate within your team and even across other teams in the organization. What are maybe two or three quick tips that you can give to people that you've implemented that have worked really well at Calendly? Yeah. First of all, I'm very impressed with your 16 year old. That's very intelligent <laughs> question <laughs> and high emotional intelligence. So I'd say the, the number one thing is how do you foster a sense of culture? when you are remote. And, and I think that can be really challenging because I think what people tend to lean towards is you know um, virtual happy hours and just ways for people to get together on Zoom that don't act, that, that kind of create a sense of people knowing each other, but don't actually create a sense of culture. So I think number one is being really deliberate around what type of culture do you want to create. I personally think about culture as communication, information sharing, and decision-making. And so how do you create that sense of culture remotely, which is how do you share information? How do you create opportunities for people to give you feedback and give you information? And how do you create a culture of rapid, inclusive decision-making? So I think that that's like number one is just being very, very deliberate about that. Uh, and then I think number two is really setting parameters for how you all are going to operate. And so what's interesting at Calendly, which I really appreciate is that our working norms are that we have business meetings between 9 and 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. Pacific time. And that really helps. And that because that helps people not feel like they have to be working at seven in the morning, six in the morning till eight, nine o'clock at night. 
We didn't have that at other companies necessarily. And I think that that really helps to provide, especially for people that want that work-life balance and have families to not feel super burnt out, which I think can easily happen in a remote environment. That's really interesting. And, and I've heard that is a best practice. And I'm curious as a leader, what does that mean for you in terms of holding back at times that feeling of a need to meet right now, 4 p.m. before the day's over, or perhaps even sending that Slack notification at 7 p.m. when you finally get to it? How, how do you balance that as, as the leader, knowing that your schedule is probably you know, filled to the brim between that nine and two slot. It is. I have um, sadly never had a lunch <laughs> since my point tell me. I'm constantly shoving a salad down in the middle of a work meeting. So that that is one of the downsides of it. So I think for me, the biggest thing that I try to do is is be really cognizant of where people are. So for my West Coast team, I know that I can ping them at four o'clock or five o'clock to grab some time. I'll never do that to somebody that's on the East Coast. Um, so, and and those people I know, hey, I can ping them at seven, seven thirty in the morning, my time, and and grab time with them. So, just in, your, in the back of your mind, being cognizant of where people are is important. Um, the second thing is, I am terrible about sending slacks at all times of day, weekends, nights. I make it very explicit with the team that they do not have to respond, and I don't expect them to respond. And in fact, if they do respond to me. Um, at nights or weekends, I actually tell them to log off. And I'm very explicit with it. I said, hey, you know, I just, this was a train of thought that I had, don't respond. And I think that that helps to set those norms. I love that. Uh, great, great uh, little tips there in terms of how to lead as a CMO. Jessica, we're going to keep you around. We'll take a quick break here though. And we'll shift over to talk a little bit about how you go to market here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. It was really interesting to hear Jessica talk about what went through her mind when she decided to step back from a CMO to be head of revenue marketing at Asana. Now, let's not forget it's Asana. That's an amazing opportunity. But for so many of us, we're often so competitive to make that next jump that appears to be up without sometimes taking a step to the side. Those of us who are really competitive, whether it's in athletics or our career or our personal lives, often we want to just keep going forward. And at times it is really valuable to get other perspective, to jump into a different lane, whether that's a different vertical, whether that's a different job. And by doing that, we become more well-rounded. I think in Jessica's case, you hear her say she would have never gotten this dream job of being the CMO of Calendly without taking that opportunity to understand scale. What is holding you back from that job that you really want? And what should you be doing next to get to that next big jump in your career. 
So Jessica, I bet if I asked you kind of for word association, I threw in a word like Heinz in front of you, you'd naturally answer ketchup, right? And I and I wonder if it's a good or bad thing in your mind that when I say Calendly, people probably think book a meeting or schedule, something of that sort. Is that is that the goal here? Do you want to be the best scheduler ever? Uh, well, I believe we are the best scheduler ever, but but yes, that is the goal, right? And I think it is absolutely a double-edged sword because what we have found is that everybody knows Calendly or everybody in this space you know, knows Calendly, and which is great because when they're thinking of scheduling, it's like, well, of course, just go to Calendly. The challenge is that we do have so many more options and we have so much more sophisticated functionality than what people think of, which is the link. And so one of the big mandates that I had when I joined Calendly from our CEO was how do you make sure people that know that Calendly is more than the scheduling link? And that's really hard when people think that they know you. Yeah, I mean, I think Heinz also makes mustard. Like I'm almost sure, <laughs> but I don't know if that's even true. Like, do they just stick to that one thing? Or, I mean, when I'm buying ketchup, I need mustard, I need mayo. And to your point, what are some of the other things that you've been able to understand that your buyer cares about? And when do you introduce those into the brand and its connections? Yeah. So number one, there's a certain percentage of our customers that care a lot about security, right? So the average entrepreneur who's using it to book one-on-one -on -one meetings, which is a really important and core part of our user base, they don't particularly care about single sign-on or skim or some of the other advanced features, but you know the, um, the IT leader at a Fortune 500 company cares a lot about it. So that's the number one thing is security. And that feels very different and that looks very different in the in each in the buying cycle, depending on who you're talking to. Another thing is really just the the complexity of the use case, right? So again, if you are, you know, if you're if you're the way you're using or the way that I would use it as an individual, looks very different than if I'm a salesperson at an enterprise company and I want to get my my boss my customer support person, my AE and my SE all on a call together, that's going to look very different. Um, or if I'm a recruiter that has a set of super sophisticated panel interviews that they have to do with 15 people, that's going to look very different. The challenge that we have is that everybody comes to our website and looks the same to start with. And so you know, how do you create the opportunities for people to self-select? For the people that just want a simple link, we want to make it really easy for them. For people that have these really sophisticated needs, we need to figure out how to in introduce that into the process and either through a self-serve way or through talking to sales. And I think that that's, that's the number one thing. It's just what is that path to either get them self-serve or talking to sales. And then once they get them talking to sales, then that tends to be a lot easier. It's obviously the self-serve path that can be a little bit more challenging to introduce that. That's, that's fascinating and, and not surprising. And that's that's why I hope people listening to this are thinking about how do you broaden your offering while still leaning into, as we said, being the catch-up of your industry, being really good at something as an anchor, but being able to ensure that people don't feel like they've outgrown you. Now, the, the interesting thing at Calendly, maybe you can double down on what you were hitting on there, Jessica. I mean, I was asking you before we went live, 10 million users. And that's, I found that on your website somewhere. And you told me that, you know, 
the announcement's just about to go out that you're now at 20 million users. So we're not talking about segmentation of, you know, a top 100 account list here. We're talking about, you know, quite a few, as you said, entrepreneurs, but I'm guessing that there's also a Fortune 500 play in this. So how would you segment in terms of the, you know, upsell into a Fortune 500 versus my wife is a solopreneur. She uses this solution too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that my team and I talk about almost all the time, probably 80% of what we talk about, which is when everybody is coming in that looks the same, how do you use really good data to understand who they are and whether that is enriched data or self-selected data? And how do you put them on the right path? So for the average individual user, we want them to have a really great experience with Calendly. They don't need to talk to, hopefully they don't need to talk to a customer support person. They don't need to talk to a salesperson. And so the big question we have is, how do we create a really amazing self-serve experience for them? How do we give them the educational experience? How do we give them the resources that they need through a drip process so that they feel really confident that they understand everything that they need to do on their own? And then for somebody that comes in who is maybe a manager of sales at a mid-market or enterprise company, how do we identify that person quickly and how do we get them to a salesperson right away so they can reach out and intervene to be able to have a conversation and say, okay, you signed up. Why did you sign up? Can we understand your needs? Can we make sure you know about some of these more sophisticated capabilities? And how do we hopefully turn that one seed user into a 20-person land deal or a 100-person expand deal. So that's the really, really hard, but that's what we're very focused on. So I just want to make sure that I'm following in terms of how you create the two different paths. Is, is it as simple as saying if they belong in a larger organization or a group of multiple users, sales is going to come in and they're going to supplement the more broad general marketing? Or do you actually have a different nurture path of email nurtures and other marketing campaigns that are hitting someone based on the data that says that they belong to a different bucket. We have a huge amount of different paths that people go down, probably too much. And so I think we're trying to, to ration that down a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it depends on so many factors. Like if somebody signs up and never uses the product, then we clearly don't want to get them to sales because that, that, that probably means something happened along the way. And we want to make sure that we want to get them to use the product first before they get to a salesperson. If somebody is a certain title, if somebody is in a certain one of our key personas, if someone with, is within an industry or within a region, that makes sense for us. So all of these things play into the factor of whether they go to sales or whether we put them down more of an educational nurture path where we feel like at that point they've engaged enough to be interested in talking to a salesperson. You know, we don't we don't want to create a situation where somebody is kicking the tires and they're bombarded by sales. That's not a great experience. Interesting. So you, you hit on the importance of data and understanding that data in some sort of system of record. I'm going to assume you referencing Marketo before that that's a big part of it. But I'm curious beyond product engagement because we all know about PLG and I've I've had a lot of guests talk about their PLG strategy. But I'm, I'm just naturally curious, given what Uberflip does, to what degree some of their engagement in thought leadership may help you perhaps elevate the outreach to one of the last 10 million people who, who jumped your metrics up so much. Like, 
is that engagement in the actual content on your website telling in some sort of way? So content is incredibly important, as all marketers know. And I think the, the key question that we have is, what is the right level of engagement? So we're constantly tweaking our lead scoring to, to really account for that. I'd say we have not figured it out. And I think there are some, some folks that go way too broad and they flood sales team with leads. I think we've probably gone the opposite and we have a pretty high bar for what goes to sales. But I think the, the way that we sort of think of it is, you know, obviously content is that first way that you can get your, uh, your foot in the door. We typically try to focus on our key personas. So marketing, recruiting, customer support and sales. And we have very top of the funnel content related to each of those. So if somebody engages with one of that top of the funnel content, that will never go to sales. We just don't think they're ready yet. And so when once they have engaged with that, then we take them down a further path of having them really look at, you know, Calendly case studies or asking to view a Calendly demo or um, watching one of our webinars. We do a ton of webinars around the Calendly product. Once somebody is engaged in that way and showed an interest in the product itself, that's when we decide to send them on to sales. Interesting. Now, I, I feel like I'd be doing a disjustice not to ask you the obvious question. How do you use your own product to book some of these sales meetings in terms of balancing the, you know, the requirement, if you will, for everyone to pick up the phone as a sales rep and call and send emails and let someone respond when they're ready versus give them that opportunity to say, I'm ready, let me book. So I think there's there's two ways. Uh, one is obviously in our outbounding. Clearly, Calendly needs to be part of every single outbound email. Uh, and when somebody has raised their hand and says they're interested in talking to a salesperson, the very first email that goes out is obviously includes Calendly link. So that's number one. Uh, we also have different components of our website where we potentially have less traffic that we can control a little bit more that we use our own routing product. It's not on our homepage of our website just because we get so much volume, but on certain pages, if somebody is interested in talking to sales, they don't have to wait. They can actually book a meeting straight from our website. Uh, but I would say the, the most interesting use case, which I love and I wish when I was an event marketer, I wish I had it, was that when we're at an event booth, like you said, you were at Forrester, um, when we're at an event booth, if someone comes to our booth and is interested in talking to sales, instead of our marketers like collecting the cards and then bringing it back and someone inputting into Salesforce and a salesperson reaching out, which is what I did, the, the prospect can actually book a meeting using Calendly right with a salesperson from the booth. That's great. I mean, that, that's, there's no better way to, you know, showcase your product and also in your case, you know, secure that meeting, which is, which is ultimately for a more considered purchase going to be so key as, as you said. So, uh, Jessica, this is great. I, I feel like we finished this part on a very connected element of using your product and your go-to-market. We're going to keep you around for a couple more rapid fire questions right after this last break. You heard Jessica talk there about the balance of nurturing someone and introducing sales. There's another balance I think is important to look at, which is 
your sales team's role in nurturing a buyer. And one of the big trends that we're seeing out there today is the responsibility of sales reps to enable buyers. Now, the big trend for this is a digital sales room, packaging up content and putting that in front of buyers. So here's the cool thing I want to tell you about. We actually have a DSR sales assist product at Uberflip. Some of you may have used it. Some of you may be curious to check it out. One of the amazing things that we have built in is an integration with Calendar. What that does is it allows your rep to put content in front of the buyer and change that call to action to being request a meeting, to actually booking a meeting, or changing it from filling out a form to get a piece of content, to saying, now is the time that I've read this content, I want to talk to the rep. I want to book that next step in the journey. So take a look at that. If you come to uberflip.com, you can talk to us and you can get that experience of seeing Calendly integrated into your content strategy. And it's a very much a hybrid of everything you're hearing Jessica and me talk about today. Jessica, my first question for you is really about becoming a leader, becoming a marketing leader. And I'm curious your thoughts on what skills someone needs to be a leader today. And, and in your case specifically, how important is that financial background in being a CMO? My old boss at Asana said that you need to have three things to be a successful CMO, which is know the people, know the data, and know the story. And I've kind of kept that pretty close to heart. Uh, and I would say that knowing all three of them is incredibly important. You, you cannot be a successful leader unless you know all three. That's really great advice. So let's talk a little bit about the story piece in, in that uh, circle of three triangle points. When you think about the story, how much of that is product marketing versus content marketing? I think it all has to come from product marketing. I think it all has to come from understanding your customer. And then the the stories and the content comes from there. Interesting. So how, in, in a group of 60 marketers or so inside of Calendly, how does that flow from the product marketing team saying, okay, this is going to be our story. And now content marketing team, you now have to create and inject that into the buyer journey. So yeah, there's there's no, we have to, and this is going to be, <laughs> for sure. This is very much a collaboration. And I think it is the, the product marketing team bringing insights about the customers, and then the content marketing team bringing insights about what they believe will resonate from their work and their data, from things that have worked in the past. And it's a collaboration, assembly line. Interesting. So I, I'm going to pull one of the words in your answer out there, which is resonate. And, and I'm curious for you as a CMO, I'm sure you get bombarded with messages in your LinkedIn, in your personal inbox. What resonates for you? What gets you to lean in to some sort of outreach today that you would say, I'm going to respond? So it's funny. I actually wrote a post about this on LinkedIn that went incredibly viral, like over 2 million impressions and thousands wow. of I know it was, I'll never be able to top that. So that was clearly, that was clearly a post that resonated. Uh, and I'd say it's almost impossible to get me to respond to email outreach. And I, I listed a whole long list of reasons why that is, but mainly because I don't really control the budget and I don't control the tech priorities of my team. And so it's just, you know, once I have given my team their mandate, 
and I've given them their budget and I've given them their priorities, it's their job to figure out how to accomplish it, not mine. I love that. Uh, you know, one of the things I've realized in the past in a similar role is if if I choose their technologies, they're not going to lean into them versus them making the choice and saying these these are what I wanted and now I'm responsible for it. So I think I think that's a great strategy. My last question for you today is may, maybe going to be the toughest one, uh, and that's all about balance. And and you talked a lot about the hours in which people can book meetings, uh, and we're not going to even consider if people block that properly in their Calendly link. But, you know, how do you actually take a break outside of those hours of doing work and finding priority for your health, for your family, for your friends, whatever it might be? So I think one of the advantages that I see from working from home and many other people may think is a disadvantage is that my work day and my home completely blends. And so I don't think about my hours as being a specific eight to six or nine to five or whatever that is. My, my hours are basically 162 hours a week. And I can choose how I either work or spend time with my family or, or have time for myself during those hours. And so if I have happen to have a break at 10 a.m., then I'll go for a walk and I will not feel guilty about that. And if I have to jump on a call at 7 p.m. or if I have to do something on a Sunday night, I'll, I'll do that. And not feel guilty about that because I know that I will take time for myself. And so I think it's really important to just be very diligent about looking at your calendar, finding those opportunities for breaks, and then not just using that to sit and surf social or uh, do more work because there's always more work, but taking that time to go for a walk or do some meditation or do some you know, quick five minutes on the jump rope, whatever that is to revive yourself and to get some fresh air and to get away from the computer. I love that. Some great tips there. And, you know, I will usually not comment on these responses, but I got to tell you that one of my obsessions for managing this is actually managing my Calendly link availability. Uh, because it's one thing for me to manage my calendar availability internally, um, but it's another thing once I let that out and, and I let it outside of our organization. And I think as you said, just having those somewhat rigid timelines of what is available and what is for yourself to work within, uh, I think is such great advice for everyone who's tuning in here. Jessica, there's so much value that came out of chatting with you today. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share. If someone has stumbled upon this episode as their first podcast with us, please check out all the other amazing guests that I've had. Uh, roughly 150 CMOs have joined me on this podcast to date, and everyone's path and journey is unique as you take on your own, make it your own. And one day you'll be on here to share it. I hope until next time. Thanks to Jessica and thanks to everyone for tuning in. You've been listening to the marketer's journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip who help you fuel demand generation with content for an Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.